0: Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2021. Episode 342, Details for the Devil. A deeper dive into micro settings. Presented by Richard Ruane, Pam Puntalan, Brian Yaksha, and ZXU.
1: <laughs> Hi, I'm Pam Puntalan, and I'm on the panel. Well, the rehash panel for Devils for the details for the Devil, a deeper dive into micro settings. I think some of you might be aware that we were here last year, and we're gonna kind of dig. Well, deeper into things, I suppose. So I'm, again, Sam Punzalan at The Dovetailer on Twitter. I am a queer Filipina based in Manila doing design, editing, sensitivity reading, cultural consultancy, and a lot of community work. I'm also hashtag RPGC, proud to say so. I just have a lot of projects, thankfully, so I'll go into them some other time. But Richard, since you just got back, hello, please introduce yourself.
0: Hey, I'm Richard Ruane, and I am sorry I had to run to to get something at the door. My pronouns are he, him, and uh, I'm the creator of Bureau Keep, and uh, Dark Designs in Vertigrees, and uh, the upcoming Enoch's Wake, and the soon to hit Kickstarter Moonlight on Roseville Beach. I am at
2: R-A-R-R underscore r o on Twitter. My name is Brian Yaksha. I live in Brooklyn. My pronouns are he and they. Uh, I've done work on Raquel. Best Left Buried, Brinkwood, Wormskin, Dolman Wood, Age of Sigmar, Soulbound, Chromatic Soup, some Pathfinder stuff official, and I recently had a big Kickstarter called Academies of the Arcane for the Masonian Arts Council. Uh, I believe I just said that I, I live in Brooklyn, I'm a rural transplant, and I really, really want to get out of the coffin of an apartment I've been stuck within for almost two years straight.
3: Um, hi, I'm Zedek I am a writer, designer, translator, editor from Podix in Malaysia. Uh, yeah, so RPGC like Pam. With uh, The Artist Mangkau, my current RPG project is called The Thousand Thousand Islands, which is a series of basically microsetting zines. And we're making our first book and it will be on Kickstarter like really soon. So, Reach of the Roach God. Check it
0: out. All right, Pam, I don't know if you wanted to start with a question. I had like crazy number of questions just here, but you know, we we definitely (laughs) want to catch up a little bit, like sort of review what we did last year, sort of real quick, just basic review from last year, we sort of like establish as what a micro setting is.
3: I can't recall what we okay. <laughs> brought up.
0: Hey, I, don't think we, I don't think we came up with a big unified answer. So uh, which I, is a micro setting answer in
3: itself.
2: Yeah. I found the thread in which I answered all of the questions from last year. So I'm just going to link that in the panel hangout. So maybe they can distribute that link. I think last year we also
0: talked a little about sort of uh, they're useful and interesting because they are super focused on key details. And I I think last year we talked about devil in the details, that the beautiful thing about microsetting is they just, they require you to flush out so much insight about uh, what's going on, real specificity in a microsetting. Whereas as much as I love some of like the great wilderness guides, you really, you know, or things that, you know, that kind of have you wandering around like a very large piece of countryside, that you don't get that level of specificity. You don't get into the details of life and how it's lived. Just uh, over this past year, what has kind of been inspiring you as sort of like examples of really digging into a setting and seeing specific details or pieces? What that have been your inspirations over the past year?
3: Uh, and then... Uh... So one of the books I finished reading most recently is a, basically a sort of ethnography of Boogie's navigation. Uh, so, like, uh, the Bugis peoples are a particular people uh, from Indonesia, uh, from the Indonesian region, and they are, they, they, they were, they are a maritime culture. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, it just struck me that a lot of, a lot of my work comes from sort of in, in sources like that uh uh so, sort of spe- specific ethnographies of specific cultural practices boat building uh mm-hmm. food is a big thing so like uh, the, the the sort of food cultures are about of a particular area or particular culture and um yeah so like that's that's those are like sort of very clear and very specific uh inspirations for any sort of for any of the zines we make uh that it always comes from a sort of particular source and a race. it's, so it's not like an overview. No, pe- I I, I'm, I, don't know whether you get this question a lot, Pam, but uh, when people ask about, like when people talk to us, they ask, oh, what, can you recommend a thing that sort of introduces your, uh, Yeah. Uh,
1: and, and,
3: and, and you know, it's it's not that, I mean, it's not that I don't understand where the question is from, but it says that I can't recommend something because uh, the general guide I don't know because I don't need it, and mm-hmm. so 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 it's an interesting thing where macro settings are kind of like that general guide, and uh, whereas uh, at least personally my work is entirely focused on the sort of very specific thing, um, so yeah. yeah.
1: And yeah, I get I do get that question a lot, just just to cut in real quick and uh, I'll I'll follow up after you after you because that's a really good way for me to also get into my own microsetting and stuff.
3: Uh yeah, I, I yeah, so that's that's the kind of it's it's things that have been continually inspiring me throughout the
1: So uh Zedek very gracefully brought me in by talking about that question. Um, And it it struck me, for example, that I think just last week, uh, Dagger Isle Supplement, which is still untitled, by the way, and that's my fault, (laughs) was announced under Evil Hat. And I mentioned a term, tropical goth. Now, a lot of people are currently interested in it because they don't know what it is. And that's fascinating to me because that's literally the entirety of Philippine literature after 1500s so I found myself struggling to explain that and I'm going to write an entire blog post slash Twitter thing about it because my training is primarily academic and cultural studies so when we mouth off a term we have to think about all of these nice fancy things like discur- discourse, ideology, context culture, tradition, and all, all that shit. Right. So I I was looking into it and fascinatingly, tropical goth was defined by one of my own writers. So I was like, okay, I hit it on the nail. It's from, it's from my hood. Yet the academic discourse focuses on the global south, Latin America. So the, the book summary that I saw about tropical goth did not mention any Filipino writer at all. So now my exercise as as a designer and also as somebody with a platform is okay, how do I then describe what that is? And the things that came to mind for Tropical Goth is uh, I'm going to introduce the idea of smallness. There is an essay by Nick Joaquin called called A Heritage of Smallness. Now I would not actually recommend it to anybody because it sounds really cool if you're 20 and you don't know any better. But I'm 36 and I've done some work and I'm pretty sure a lot of people who are watching this have done some work too. So if you read it, it's going to come off very, uh, the Filipino term is coconut. It's a brown man uh, who's white underneath. So he makes some very weird Conclusions about Philippine culture as a Filipino that has my eyebrows kind of doing the waggly dance, right? But the idea, the proper idea of smallness is an intense microscopic focus on things that may have to do, for example, with aesthetic, but also have to do with the lived experience. And macro guides can't really do that for you. They don't really talk about stuff like food, they don't really talk about how somebody's language sounds in a particular neighborhood or why a word comes up. Uh, So if you had a macro setting, for example, of urban horror Philippines, you'd say that Manila is a city of glorious noir. Strange things happen in the dark. And then you'd add a lot of interesting um, slogans, I guess. And you'd be able to mouth that off real quick for people to get a general idea of what they're getting into so they can go, okay, I like this book. Great, let's try it. On the other hand, a micro setting would delve deeper into what makes us a nois city. And the chilling example that I have for all of you this evening on your end and morning on mine is did you know that the word salvage in English parlance for Filipinos has a different meaning than the rest of you? So most of you guys will think salvage, you salvage equipment, you put something back together, you go through a scrapyard and you figure things out. Salvage was the not so nice way of describing an extrajudicial killing under martial law. So when you say, uh, he, she, they were salvaged. Uh, and everybody knew down here what you mean. And then the other micro-setting aspect of the Manoa city is there is a Tagalog. Not really, it's not really specific to Tagalog, as far as I can tell. But it's. I'll just say Tagalog so I don't sound regional. Ingat po kayo, which is, please take care. Uh, it sounds like such a nice greeting, but I've been told by my uh, my elders that "ingat po kayo" for older Filipinos who survived martial law was them basically saying "take care." Subtext: I hope you don't get shot by the popo. So those are very specific micro setting things, and. If you as a designer are doing a larger setting, you don't need to concern yourself with that, right? You just have to give people the broad strokes that are gameable, quote unquote, so that it's useful for your players. But both for a GM and a player, in my experience, it is actually useful to have these small uh I guess, tonal notes, if you wanted to call it like music, because if you don't have those, then how are you supposed to be able to make a, a compelling picture? How, what are you supposed to use as a player when you are a character in a world and that character knows the world, but you're, in, you're on earth right now in reality. You don't know fuck all about the actual setting. So that's, that's my little thing about smallness and micro settings and specificity. As for general information, uh, for general inspiration, the two games that I've been playing are FF14 and Genshin Impact, and they're amazing. And I could talk more about that, but I don't want to take up too much space because it also has some weird micro setting stuff. So, uh,
2: I think I'll go next because uh, just sort of continue with a sort of a, a a bummer trend of uh talking about some stuff. So, you know, in a broader macro setting, it's uh, yeah, you know, let let's just give in to some. Western imperialism and expansionism and go out and manifest some destinies and purge some populations and not really think about it. And, you know, that's fun if you don't think about it. And that's why people enjoy their Dungeons and or Dragons and other various games that don't make it the most overt thing that they're clearly doing. Uh, Whereas with a micro setting, like a project I was doing earlier this year, which I shelved because it was too depressing it was like let me think of all the various ways in which a person could become become completely ousted from civilized society to the point where they think i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna hurt people for money becomes you know the way in which you decide to conduct your life and how that both is sort of a consequence of your being and an active choice that you continue because you could just go, you know, live in a a hermit shack under some fallen trees and not be a predator in human form, but that's not what a protagonist is because a protagonist is not an inherently positive thing. It's just something that drives forward action. And so on top of doing that, it would then fell into What are all the ways I can describe a person that inscribe a sense of self-doubt in one's own appearances, even things that traditionally skew positive, and a sense of bitterness? So you could roll up, you know, the most, like, masculine manly man gonna go out there and fight the orcs type of hero, but using all of the various little listings that I wrote during the peak of the pandemic in a very depressed state just like yeah so yeah you know yeah you're you're really strong and you got this cool sword but you're you know that uh that woman you love she's never gonna talk to you again because of the things that you do and the way that the people in your platoon describe you in ways that can only be described as like acquiescing to a fascist aesthetic are things that you should probably take issue with and you know that After all these things that you've just gone out of your way to butcher and the revelation of like, yeah, there may be like a soul or something like that. But I can't subscribe to religion anymore because I have made too much blood and meat out of things that should also have that. And I don't know how to live with myself, but I don't want to die with myself. So I'm just going to go. And that's your, you know, throw four or five of those in a party and you're going to have gonna have a real good bad time. And that's what I do with micro settings. And a lot of people like to hire me for that. I swear I'm gonna write something happy at some point.
1: I... I just wanna add really quickly as well that some people in the audience might have noticed that you've got already three people talking about imperialism and colonialism Mm -hmm. and stuff. And uh, one of the things that we brought up last year, uh, just to rehash and kind of go back to that discourse before uh, we add more of our our stuff is inherently a micro setting can be about resistance because many of us, or at least a lot of people who've been in tabletop a while, it, it's hard to argue against the shadow of traditional, so-called traditional tabletop role-playing games, or more specifically, the role-playing game that is basically like Colgate to everybody, right? So, World of Darkness, Legend of the Five Rings, D D, all of that, right? And they do their things in large, expansive books. But the critical reading of a lot of those, uh, a lot of that stuff is, it's basically white man fantasy when it comes to things like horror or fantasy, or uh, mm. mystic Japan, I suddenly remembered L5R and a chill ran down my spine, right? Uh, but that's the thing with, with these books. You, I think, in a related thread about storytelling, I use the analogy of tourism. A macro setting lets you be a tourist in an imaginary world. So you can look at these things. You can mm. say, oh, how pretty. And you will generally not let it affect you beyond letting it decide that you're happy that you spent money at this exotic culture for your further benefit. But you don't actually absorb what happens. You don't, you you might not, you've consumed it, but you haven't digested it. A micro setting will force you by design to digest these things. Because the random guards or the random orcs that you just killed had families. And they had a particular favorite meal, and they also had a bar that they used to go to every day that that sort of thing. So that's why we talk a lot about the framing of imperialism and colonialism in a macro setting because inherently it can be that way because of how tabletop started with particular centers. And these days, micro settings can be, I say, can be and maybe a form of resistance because this does not always hold true. It just so happens that many of us designers in this space do that. Uh, whether we know it or not at times, or we do it deliberately. I don't know. Uh,
3: I- sir, I, I, can, I, can I sort of jump in and sort of tack on to what Pam was Please saying? Do. Because yeah. it, 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 it's something that occurred, occurred to me recently through conversations with other people specifically. So, uh, so I, was on, I was on James Holloway's Monster Man podcast. So it's a podcast uh, focused on discussing monsters and interesting things about monsters. And uh, he got me to pick a particular monster and I picked animals. And and we sort of start talking about this and um, the so even in Dungeons and Dragons, uh, if you can sort of dismiss the basically overt text of it being sort of like going off and killing the killing the other, um, even in, it's it, there's there's an implication infused in it, uh, even in the most innocuous things, for example, the difference between the ultra monster and the sort of mundane animal is a distinction that exists in the beast theory in the in and dragon's beast theories from the very beginning, which is really an, a, a cultural assumption uh, because if, if you if you think about sort of folklore and uh, and animal the, the role of the animal in, in many, many folklore uh, traditions, uh, they are hardly mundane. Uh, and so the the idea of the mundane animal is a it's a very modern, very sort of uh, I guess empirical scientific sort of uh, idea that is baked into uh uh and dragons. So when Pam was talking about you know like the the implication of the the, the Tagalog phrase uh, or, or 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 the sort of um, uh, the the meaning of the word salvage uh, the the sort of our generic macro setting texts already have those things. They have they have culturally specific assumptions that are then universalized. So now it is it is basic because of the distinction between the animal and the the animal and the monster, it is basically hard or even impossible even to tell like sort of European animal folklore stories in Dungeons and Dragons because it's such an, an scientific American text. Uh, yeah, so like macrosettings always have a center. They are often implicit, but they always have a center. So then, in a sense, a macrosetting is a microsetting that doesn't know or doesn't care to acknowledge that it is one. Which I which I thought was interesting.
0: Okay. Uh, Brian, there was a, I think you were about to jump in with
2: something. Oh yeah, um, no, I mean I've got a sort of a a button for the you know this the inherent imperialism of talking about settings and stuff. And mm-hmm. I mean, yes, uh, micro settings is a form of resistance. I would say probably the better way to think about it, if only because, once again, not everyone who's writing what's going to necessarily want the mantle of having to have to be sort of an outlet of resistance in all yeah, things. Like that. that's not that I disagree with it, but once again, you know, it's... it's Microsettings settings are about consequences because now you have to know and sort of care because there's enough attention to detail about this place. And I've, I've recently been watching way too much Star Trek and it's a lot of fun to go from place to place and see new things. But then you have Deep Space Nine where it's like, guess what? You're the government. You're the local government. You, you don't get to just go away. Unfortunately, all these religious schisms and various political chicanery and aftermath of imperialism and genocide are things you're going to have to deal with week to week. So think about that, rather than just being like the optimism of, "Well, I don't have to worry about these people that I just irreparably changed." Goodbye.
3: Nope. It, that's why DS Nine is the best Star Trek series. <laughs> um, I, I, like, I, I. Sorry for talking so long. but We sort of start, touch, talking about imperialism specifically. So something that we were doing with internally with, with uh, Thousand, Thousand Islands. One of our internal sort of design documents is basically there are no white people here. Uh, there are no analogies to white people or or the or the power of the European conquistador. Um, mm-hmm. And it was important for us to have that because uh, our project is—it's intrinsically a, an exercise in recentering. Uh, because Southeast Asia is, by definition, by its own name, a periphery. Uh, it's a term that was given to us by Americans. Um, so the so what with the uh, imagination where we are, or at least this this region of this this. This sort of imagination is centered as opposed to like constantly feeling so so I guess this is this this is a response to the idea that microset thinks are resistance they they are resistant implicitly. Uh, I, I feel like they can be resistant imp- implicitly by by recentering um, where your imagination lies. So I don't want to think about the conquistador at all. You are not important to me, and that's a that's a form of uh, that's a deconstruction in itself, because throughout our history, throughout academic, sort of historical and cultural life, we've had to deal with post-colonialism. So, what would an uncolonial Southeast Asia look like? Uh, not not to say that it's without consequence, because cities still conquer, burn villages. But yeah,
1: yeah. Gosh, what what a Southeast Asia! look like without colonizers right what a what a dream (laughs) also uh and even saying what a dream is an interesting exercise as well because Mm. culture transcultural exchange and traditions still happen whether a colonizer was there or not right Mm. war and imperialism aren't just about some outsider you can literally Mm. tear each other apart just by being the same blood and not liking the way the one guy's face looks right so uh it's 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 an impossible exercise, isn't it? Doing this whole uh, recentering away from what people understand to be a center, but the point I, is, I to feel like try. yeah, <laughs> the, the,
3: the the sort of necessity of like sticking your finger into a into a a, a dike that's slowly bursting. Um, you know, it's it, because otherwise we, I mean, that's that's resistance, right? It, We have to, who we are is resistance.
1: And just before people get like nervous that you always have to do this exercise, right, you don't actually have to always do this exercise. Uh, Just look at it this way. Uh, My face is colored. (laughs) I am not white. My very existence is an an affront to some people. Now, I don't have to do anything to be a rebel, but breathe. And now that, and that, that gives me power already, right? If, if somebody is offended by my face, well, fuck you. And that is again, another, I, 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 it may seem like we're talking a lot of theory, but again, it's, it's not something that you could very easily decide to do or say that there is a textbook for it. We do have some questions and other things, other nitty-gritty points that we could get into and how to like be more practical about it. But I think one of the reasons why we keep circling around this theoretically is it's a mindset. It's a mindset shift. Yes. Yes. Right. And if you don't change your mentality about it, you won't really be able to effectively decide. A micro setting where you will make, as Brian said, things matter to people, where consequences are heavier, where the dice, uh, dice rolls are going to hurt more, not just because of the results, but because of what it's going to do to these fictional people, and where agency is, uh, where you will feel the weight of agency, right? So, it, it, yeah. a mindset shift, right?
2: You you have to be in a paradigm where someone's choice to actively perform violence needs to be something that uh, nobody wakes up in the morning originally for the first time and says, I'm going to go commit a war crime. It's It's a long trek to get to that sort of person and to wear down the basic humanity they are instilled with from having existed as a person in a society, or even just as a person who existed outside of a society is like wow i wouldn't like anyone else to suffer through that so you need to be in a situation when in the micro setting mindset of why does it make sense that these people are cruel and sadistic bastards versus the macro setting of oh yeah this gang here they're all cruel sadistic bastards go kill them for your xp and gold because that's fine
3: so, so Richard, brian, brian would you sorry uh, no Please. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to no, 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 no. Copy uh, would, would, uh Brian? Would you? Would you then sort of did, um, characterize microsetting writing as a kind of basically giving a full, uh, full personhood to whatever you're writing about? Because it. You know, oh, I really like that, um, Brian.
2: Yeah. yeah, I would say that. That's. Certainly a a decent way of putting it. I would say it's at the very least instilling a sense of personal empathy and integrity into that which you're writing about. Like, I've I've long used as the example whenever I'm just getting really angry about someone who has written a really adequate but not great thing for a game. And it's just like, congrats, you wrote a hundred things about Rivers. But I don't care about this because this is just the generic river oh there's a fish in it cool if you made it about one river and you made me care about this one river you could have all that same information in there but you'd be really celebrating something and i'd be like i love this i don't care for the name of this river or where they placed it but i will use this because they've shown me why i should care about it and i feel like that's certainly the Fiction writing aspect of this that gets lost a lot in the game design aspect of this. Richard, what are your thoughts on microseconds? Because still in the introduction phase. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, I think we're well past an introduction phase. I feel I feel like we're 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 at like two graduate courses in, uh, uh which is fantastic because you know. Um, yeah. I think the the thing I, I I have really loved since last year about micro settings, and it was something that that Pam said in kind of prep discussions, is that you you uh, and I think this this plays also into imperialism, but you also don't see queerness in a macro setting because queerness happens too specifically on too small a level uh, for macro settings to adequately really pick up. Uh, yeah, like you, you know, There's just there's if there's millions of people, uh, there's you're just not going to get the specificity of people's lives, um, and
2: yeah, I'm I'm just my brain. to the, the few there's, times there's I've seen effects it. of imperialism yeah, 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 um, it feels disingenuous almost when it's on I, that macro scale because it's just like, yes, but you could tell me more. Yeah, I will.
1: I will. I will say really quickly that one of the works that I did. Uh, I can't help it. I'm queer. I'm queer as a rainbow, right? So of course I'm going to put it into any setting uh, that I'm hired to do, right? And uh, um, it was interesting to have my editor say, uh, "You probably need to cut this section down." And I'm like, "How do I cut
3: <laughs> no. this section
1: down?" <laughs> I know, I, I wish I could, right? Uh, and yet, oh, <laughs> sorry, Brian, go ahead. Oh,
2: no, just gonna, sorry for interrupting you, Richard. There's there's a tiny bit of chat lag. So every time I interrupted you, it was just like, let oh, me better. fill this space.
1: <laughs> but but yeah, like, um, I was going to say, as uh, the last note for me for now. Uh, interestingly, when when my partner and I are deciding not with them, you won't really get a lot of things that explicitly say that the setting is queer, but you'll absolutely know it's fucking gay when you read it, right? Mm. So there's, there's that, that's because that's also- Because the- <laughs> Oh, go ahead, Zedek.
3: <laughs> Sorry, and, and it's something I think about a lot, not not as a queer person uh, myself, but sort of like trying to write uh, settings where queerness is not queer in the literal sense, uh, mm. where it is, it, your people here, this is how people live. And if you come to that, pl- if if you go to that place, you deal with it. Because um, the, the, the Imperial mindset is like uh, conquista girls going to any place in the world and thinking that their ducats will mean anything. Um, and, and yeah, you want, to, you want to write a place where you know, like straightness has no meaning or is itself queer. Uh, and that's what a, that's what a microsetting can can implicitly do if you, if you do it right. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: So I do have a question, kind of comboing a question from the audience and one that I had had myself. I think there's, when players become focused on, a, or when you introduce players to your micro setting, because you know we're writing games, um, and at some point we will lose control of who who's going to be in them. So when players get interested in a micro setting, how do you hook them in and make them want to engage with that micro setting? I feel like D&D especially, created a culture where even when you have a ton of world detail and you drill down into like the five cool villages in the Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk <laughs> or whatever, uh, everybody's all about leaving. Like, I'm getting the hell out of here. Um, how do you hook them to stay and engage with a micro setting?
2: Uh, I, I can take this because I, I wrote a mm. thing about that actually. Uh, one, random tables. Everyone likes a random table. That they're fun. They can instill a sense of existing within the setting and be like, hey, this is my gimmick. And gimmicks mm-hmm. get a lot of bad press, but gimmicks are fun. Everyone likes a gimmick. You just don't have a ton of them at the same time. Uh, I would say also it's a matter of instilling a sense of tone. So I wrote this uh, article back when I was actively working on my Raykel stuff of here's all of these randomizers to determine exactly why nobody liked you where you're from and why you are exiled to this terrible northern hinterland and the key facet of this is this backstory of a lived in life literally only matters if you decide it matters because nobody knows you here so Mm -hmm. a lot of games you know it's it's the power fantasy of you are you know the, the big damn hero who's got the way too impractical broadsword that's going to cleave people in half, but having a setting that says you don't matter in any broad scale, you matter as much as you choose to matter and choose to make other people want you to matter, is sort of, I I would say it's a very freeing thing because now the players have the active goal of I want to control my own narrative and have people like me or believe this about me rather than I'm going to go do the good stuff and be a hero for it. So getting players invested by selling them the specifics of the tone of what it is they're now sort of ensconced within is so very rarely done in macro settings. I feel like the only time I've ever seen it done Right is uh the old box set for Dark Sun where here are six little scenarios that uh your players, depending on their class, can start in. Guess what? Ten minutes in it doesn't matter. You're a slave, you're thrown in the blood pits, (laughs) get to fight and get to kill, and you're a prisoner. And it's like, okay. But other than that, you know, most of it's just like, yeah, you you can do miracles and crap at level one, so you'll lose that scale of of scope and that can botch tone. I feel like there was an answer somewhere in there. I'm gonna have some more water.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think that how I get my players invested is it's more just figuring out, for example, what details in their character sheet and background and what they add in, and kind of digging in on that, and offering small hooks is how I tend to do it. I'm currently playtesting a game that is uh, urban horror because uh, it's it's been my preoccupation for the past five six years putting this thing into a original system, and the, by design, it is a scaffold, so a macro setting that has a lot of small parts that people can focus on. So I have this entire section where as a table, you decide the kind of theme that you want. And that is already starting investment early because that way people are like, okay, that sounds kind of cool, let's do this. So some of the themes that I included in my urban horror were, do you want a family legacy story where all of you guys come from hunter clans and you don't only have to kill demons, you also have to deal with your tita who tells you you're fat every time you go have Christmas dinner, right? Do you want that kind of flavor or do you want the you happen to be that one government agency overworked, underpaid in the third world country that is the Philippines and now your government is like, you got to take care of some ghosts. By the way, you don't have body armor or purified salt, right? Or do you want a high school setting where all of you are training to be the next new heroes, fighting vampires out there, but also dealing with hormones? Uh, So then it becomes intrinsically interesting rather than you as GM or you as designer deciding, I want players to engage like this, that, 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 that. the, The mindset shift here is you don't get to decide everything. And you should not have to decide everything. So if you, a lot of folks come to me, came to me before saying, how do I get my players engaged? And my number one question to them was, uh, how much are you letting them be engaged? Mm -hmm. Like, are you throwing an episode at them over and over again and having them react to it? Or are you asking them, how is your character feeling right now and why? Because that is also another GM tool that I wanted to bring up. a lot of mm-hmm. us, because we like telling stories or presenting a world, will say your characters are feeling like this right now in the face of like a many-eyed creature. But are you sure that everybody's going to feel that way? Do you have to be that certain about it? You could simply present it and describe what it looks like, right, and let your players decide how it is and respond accordingly.
2: I'm sort so of up. A... Oh, sorry, I've. I've small counterpoint slash caveat to that. I've actually found that telling rather than showing and leading because we, we, you know, specifically in the West, just it's it's show, don't tell. And obviously this is a little bit different than what you're saying. I have found it is so much more freeing to say, this is Marty. You know him. He's a dick. He has yeah, always been too. a dick. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just like you don't need to be like, I... You know, like, wow, why is this guy being a dick to me? I I thought <laughs> I was going to come in here and be his friend. But, you know, yeah. just, Marty is like, eh, what are you doing? He's like, fuck you, Marty. You still owe me money. And now it's just like, I will lean into that because Marty is a dick who would still owe you money. So, you know, that's, that's yeah. very much an aside for micro settings, more just general GMing. But, yeah, if you're going to have those intimate casts of characters with preconceived relationships, it's totally fine to be like, yeah, this is a straight up fact that you know about this person.
3: That sort of draws from your 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 sort of personal relationship with with your actual friend who you're playing with, uh, because it occurs to me that that, um, that description is kind of like he's a dick, or or rather uh, he is like your ex boyfriend who who ditch, ditched you last summer, or whatever. And then there's an instant snapshot on how you uh, instant cue to how one should relate to this person. No. Uh, some, some uh, about the so the, the 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 I understand Richard like the, the Richard's question. The way I understood it was um, so so that this question of like increasing the sort of um, friction between the text and the players uh, and sort of like oh how, where how sticky can it be. Uh, both to players and also to the GM because the GM is is is, is part of the playing thing and they, they are the one who, who is engaging. That entire table has to engage with your text. Um, so, it yeah. I, I basically I'm in agreement with what both uh, Pam and Brian uh, Brian Brian brought up. Uh, like specific, but specific to something like something specific that we do in our zines. Is a like how do you get people engaged in a particular place when they arrive there? And how do you get the GM interested as well, um, and this a specific thing we do is there is no universal currency.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, everybody's arriving, everybody's leaving, because that's just how the setting works. It's it's interconnected regions and islands. Um so there's no your money is not good everywhere. So you got to figure out what's good here, and so in every zine we'd always have a list of trade goods. Uh, so it's figuring out—it's—it's it's the idea that or that you are traveling from somewhere to somewhere else. So what is what do you have to give this place, and what does this place in exchange? Uh, because then you'll you'll be traveling somewhere else or you might be staying but the place will change and the place will change because of these sort of material cultures and sort of like uh, so i guess that, yeah i'm i'm getting lost in my own sort of spiel here but um that's a that's a very concrete thing that we do and we found that people who use the zines then have engaged a lot with basically oh the this place shell this sells nails which will prevent a ship from ever sinking, uh, and and so player players just want to engage with those things because they they kind of have to because uh, I I can't bank anything, everything spoils within some some amount of time frame, um, so I've got to keep engaging the world. You you can't be a you can't be a capitalist and like offshore account, everything, and like, oh, nothing nothing touches me. I've got to live in space. Uh, yeah.
2: Uh, Just for, for a, a last-minute thing to, bleh, what, I, what I was saying, Uh, when it talks about, like, leaning into giving implied knowledge of stuff, uh, I was inspired, I got to write a thing that is going to be published soon, that was sort of inspired from having read all of uh, Zedek's Thousand Thousand Islands, where it was like, mm. I want to describe this character in a way that is implying knowledge that the characters would have of the setting in their description, and it was so, you have a prisoner, and they're described as old enough to know better, in regards to the circumstance they found themselves in, and any knowledge you might have about how they found themselves here, really... Even if you had zero knowledge of it or all the knowledge of it, looking at someone who is old enough to know better conjures that image in mind. And this is so, that, yeah. yeah.
3: This is the writing thing of like, don't be afraid of the anachronistic and uh, don't be afraid of the anachronistic simile. Yeah, because it's so useful. it's so very useful.
1: I also have to say that there was a panel already about asking the right questions in games. I did not watch it. I'm very sorry. I was asleep. So I but... didn't
0: get to watch it either. And I was, <laughs> I was really excited for it. So
1: yeah, but, uh, the, my, I, why I brought it up because in micro settings allow that conversation to happen, right? You have to pick the specific questions and you have to say. Those specific, or not really specific descriptors, but the descriptors that get the job done. Whether it sounds intriguing or not in what would be considered a wider tabletop audience. Uh, down we go. I wrote for that for, uh, for their Kickstarter recently. And I focused on 10 businesses that you'd see in this sprawling, amazing city. And one of the, one of the exercises that I wanted to do was what are the unconventional exercises, what are the unconventional businesses that you'd run into? So I have an auction house, for example, where it says Down We Go is all about dungeon delvers. You're supposed to bring back treasure and put it on a table and figure shit out from there. And this auction house has a whole bunch of uh, rich people uh, who, for whatever rich people reason, want these specific items. And what I did to reflect the, the nature of being ultra rich and not giving a shit about other people is you have a D6 table of their mood. So they will tell you to get this thing and we will randomly roll to see if they will actually pay you or if they will send goons at you, or if they will decide to pat you on the head and say, good puppy, right? That's a yeah. micro setting exercise, the frivolity of rich behavior. And how do you gamify that? And we will make a random table. I don't yeah. know what the, what the madam's mood is today. Maybe she liked you today, but in an hour, she might not like you. In another hour, she might have forgotten your name. Best way to use a dice, honestly.
2: I feel like most of the proper questions for this panel can just be answered with, yo, just really get like a, a borderline fetish for random tables. That is oh, yes. going to solve 90% of your problems.
0: So that sort of... Yeah. Pulls in, I think, a, one question that we have in the chat. Uh, that it, actually ties into a second question, too. Um, uh, first, coaching GMs to run micro setting games, and the second one is something I really want to make sure we leave time for about including factions. uh, uh so I think. We're gonna jump all. We're gonna jump in on, on on whatever. I think. Uh, I think both those questions. Okay.
1: The, I, the, I, I, um,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, inter- so just just to go quickly, the, the interesting thing about about factions is, uh, I I design a lot in the Forge and the Dark Space, mm-hmm. and one of the questions I got was faction game, and here I am designing the Dagger Isles an Archipelago, thousands and thousands of miles away from Dustfall, and I was like, what faction game? the 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 thing with with factions is unless you give them enough specificity and enough good plot hooks and a sense of urgency time and action that they will move this way whether you do something or not if uh, you have to design factions with a lot more care in a, mi- in a micro setting. Because normally a micro, if it was a micro setting, you'd maybe have one or two, but you wouldn't have a faction game, right? And uh, you could also even throw uh, random tables are great, so I'm just going to put that out there when it comes to factions, right? But again, you have to be, I feel at least, you have to be a lot more specific with it. Don't throw too many cooks into this broth of yours, because uh, that's already going on a macro level of motivations, of world-moving uh, shit. So, mm-hmm if if you're going to bring them in make them human yeah and make um, it matter right, go ahead sorry uh,
3: i was going to i was going to ask because the the, the question of like factions um in some ways because it's an abstraction uh or it's a it's it, it's kind of a rule of shorthand or abstraction because i work so much in the agnostic space i don't really think about it that way it's like no, every 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 character is potentially a faction mm-hmm. uh so like yeah and the idea so the, the, the that question about factions is that it ties into the the thing about like, creating an empathy or a or, or personal connection or a personhood to mm-hmm. that group of people why are they uh so yeah i mean when i when i write zines it's it's never like okay there's this there's this nation of people there's this group of people like there's this nation state of thieves they're all the same the way they they dress the same uniform so i never start out writing like that and then become personal i start by the personal and sort of like imply uh so like this particular guy has this thing and that thing and he serves this particular sort of uh chief, but why the whys of it are, are are personal, and the personal can be sort of like buffeted by different forces, but it is, um, yeah, so it's it's writing write a faction like you would write a good character is the kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Um, yeah, So Brian. Sort of the contrarian point to that, in which
2: I view factions as the macro scale coming and crushing in on that, which is intimate and familiar. So I just finished writing, uh, God, it was like, ended up being like 60 pages of just pure mechanical crunch with narrative things. Essentially, I wrote a series of interlocking Chris Katulik style chaos indexes for the uh, Dank Dungeons people for a thing they're going to put out later. And, all of the faction interplay starts off with, here's some signs of the time that are showing this faction on the ascent, but as it progresses to this next level, there is literally nothing you can do to stop it. because you are an individual among a group of individuals while they are already organized. And as they grow in power and continue to exploit and oppress because they are organized and have a fundamental purpose to what they're doing whereas you're an individual you sort of have to deal with the growing ramifications of this group that is able to do these things on a macro scale level so while yeah you are gonna care when they like you know kill your your friend's horse because they think only people from our ethnic group are allowed to have horses now so that horse has been you know, shamed by this lesser rider. So we're going to kill the rider and then we're going to kill the horse. And it's like, well, that's, that's a personal thing. But at the same time, you now have the macro issue of, I can't go anywhere in this entire nation on horseback without inviting conflict, unless I'm willing to do this, that, or the other thing. And so the faction, because I'm, I'm choosing to view factions in an entirely antagonistic light, uh, Factions exist to exploit the player character for aims that perhaps the player character might share but like uh you know for, for the case of uh, the stuff that i wrote for like rachel like you could be the most faithful member of like the heliopapist reformation the pope does not care what it is you do Maybe the, the Sun Pope will give a crap if you send him a bunch of money and kill a bunch of people who might be a problem for him. But whether or not you do these things, it's still going to be, you know, doing indulgences and spreading influence and doing terrible things. The only way you can really stop a faction, stop an idea, is to utterly denounce every part of it and then take out anyone who's willing to act on those things you've denounced. And that's not something you can really easily do.
3: I, uh, I want to, to. Sorry, well, sorry, I just, sorry.
0: The only thing I wanted to say about factions is, I think, as a as a as a expanding on on what Brian said, I think when you have player facing factions or player accessible factions that that people have worked for or are working for, it is really important that they there be an amorality to those player facing factions that you know. Players may have heroic motives; they may have functional motives, but they should not. They shouldn't have a, a morally pure retreat in a faction in the world. Uh, they should. They should sort of know. Oh, I've got these factions, and sure, they have a lot of resources, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I can't just go to them and say, "Hey, it's for the best." Well, we sure. all want the good, right? Uh, so there's there's always a there's always a a chance that like or there's always a sense that they're any anything that they're identifying with also has problems and has to like has people, uh, sort of motivating that, and then also have those generally opposed, never going to do you a good turn, never really going to do you a good turn, factions that you might have to deal with in in nonviolent ways, just because you don't have it a lot, you don't, you're out of choices. So, yeah, uh,
3: uh, I was gonna so. Uh, like I was going to address the, the 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 first question, which was how to hook people to the particular micro setting. Um, and I had a thought about this uh, with regards to um, or how to sort of coach GMs to like care about this particular micro setting and have, you know, make it come alive. The 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 the, the thing that we've all we, we've we've tended to do with the without uh, artisans is that. Um, wherever you go the place where you are now everything that they believe or the, the, their cosmology or their, their magic is real is real here where they are um so you kind of like so and and this kind of ties the, to the factional thing that and that, that's why brian's approach is it is actually quite different from mine because um the rt project is all about Avoiding the abstractions of forces, so every force in the world has a has a has a being that so gods are gods are like kings in in space, uh, and their their influence is like diplomacy. Uh, that's true for the weather. That's true for spirits. That's true for people. Um, so yeah, in 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 that sense. Like whenever we start out a zine, I tend to write a story from that particular place, a sort of or origin story or a um, so yeah, it's a fable, and it's a it's a fable that's all that's always true when when you get there. and they're often contradictory with every with with other fables from elsewhere in the in the in, from other zines. Uh, but yeah, so that it's it's i i. I Almost, I, I don't. I want to propose this as a as a possibility because I'm. I mean, the, the zines are not a system thing, but it's like um, to, to, uh, Tomer Gurans, who who has run a lot of our zines, uh, did this interesting thing instinctively, where he ran every zine using a different system. Uh, and whether or not there were people, there were characters between those those games. It's like um, you've got to deal with. The specificity, both in the narrative but also in the abstract rules of this particular space you're in, and that's, I guess, that's how you bake in a sort of engagement.
0: All right, I think we're at time, so I think this is closing out. With any uh, uh, last details or uh, where to find you or anything like that. Uh... Um... And Brian, mm, no.
1: I'm, okay. I'm uh, good. Nothing. Also, oh. because my internet Southeast Asian style is oh, cutting no. out, so <laughs> I'm I'm good. <laughs> I might just uh, hang around uh, Twitter and so such. If anybody has other okay. questions,
2: uh, nothing I said is universally applicable, save for random tables. Uh, all yes. of my work is inherently baked in with the infinite pessimism of everything. Everyone always wants me to write. I swear I can write happy things, and uh, <laughs> did you did like
3: Catlands.
2: I did Catlands is not happy. I've I've the Catlands has a content warning at the front <laughs> because it's not happy. Uh, I will also be on Twitter if anyone wants to ask. Specific questions that I will totally 100% directly get back to you about. Uh, Yeah, nope. That's all I have to say. All right. Any other closing thoughts, words? Let your players break your settings. Like, oh, no, you can't nuke Neverwinter. Just let them do it. They'll have more fun. You can do that in the micro setting because you know all the consequences of if you take out the mayor, but like, just let your players destroy things. It's, it's a, you know, even if it's a, a railroad track or a samba, just let them break things. It's better that way.
0: The, the, <laughs> the first time I ran Enoch, which was under a different name, the, the players completely destroyed everything by the by the end of the campaign so yeah. Uh, yeah everything i've written is what was there when they started
2: yeah you do not lash yourself to the the mizzenmast of this is orthodoxy and it must exist it must remain static no let them burn it down let them let them suffer or let them be happy that they burnt it down just let them do it
0: all right uh thank you so much for joining today. And I know we're a little bit over time, so I want to let people get, uh, but uh, uh, thank you so much. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to everybody. Yeah. Again. Thanks, Richard.
3: Thanks.